0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fire Science Show. I don't know if I share this ever with you, but my ambition at the ITB, the institute where I work, is to create a center of excellence on experimental fire science. We we would love to one day become the place where experimental fire science takes place. So uh, episodes like this today are, I'm doing as much for you as I'm doing them for myself because I simply love to expand my knowledge in terms of how to do good uh, fire experiments. In the Fire Science Show, we had a series of episodes related to the most impactful experiments that were ever conducted in the world of fire science that were the foundation of our models and understanding of fundamental fire physics. I still believe there's many more to cover, but for today, I chose to take a twist on this series, invite Professor Arnaud Trouvet from University of Maryland and a co-chair of the MacFP group at the IFSS. And talk with Arno about what makes an experiment a a great experiment and how the MacFP group, which is very focused on creating benchmarks experiments in fire science, how they plan, how they execute experiments, what they look in the experiments, and, and, and what's all their work about. This group is doing a tremendous effort in, in building a structured, uh, reputable, accessible database of pristine knowledge that, that we have, the, the best experiments that we have, the most useful sets of benchmarks that, that we have for our models. And this is the subject of the discussion today. So let's hear from Arnaud on how to make a great fire experiment. Let's spin the intro. And jump into the episode. Welcome to the Firesize Show. My name is Wojciech Wigzynski and I will be your host. As usual, I would like to... Say thanks to the sponsor of this podcast, OFR Consultants. So this podcast is brought to you in collaboration with OFR Consultants, a multi-award-winning independent consultancy dedicated to addressing fire safety challenges. OFR is the UK's leading fire risk consultancy. Its globally established team has developed a reputation for preeminent fire engineering expertise with colleagues working across the world to help protect people, property, and planet. In the UK, that includes the redevelopment of the Printworks building in Canada Water, one of the tallest residential buildings in Birmingham, as well as historical structures like the National Gallery, National History Museum, and National Portrait Gallery in London. Internationally, the work ranges from Antarctic to the Atacama Desert in Chile, to a number of projects in Africa. 2023, OFR is growing its team, and it's keen to hear from industry professionals who want to collaborate on the fire safety futures this year. Get in touch at ofrconsultants.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fire Science Show. I am today here joined by Professor Arnaud Trouvé from University of Maryland. Hello, Arnaud. Hello. And before we get to real business, first let me congratulate you with becoming the new chair of uh, Fire Safety Engineering at the UMD. What what a chair! What a legacy it holds. I. I'm sure you will write a beautiful chap of this story. So congratulations, Arnaud. This this is fantastic.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Wojciech. Uh, of course, I look forward to to that challenge, but it will be a challenge. I have big shoes to fill uh, succeeding uh, Jim Mickey, as you
0: know. Well, I'm absolutely sure that you are the person to do it. And I only imagine uh, what will come from UMD under your leadership. This This looks like very exciting times. Um, as you know, in the podcast, I have this series that is uh, called the Experiments that Change Fire Science, in which I talk with many scientists about uh, experimental stuff they've done in the past that, that really impacted how we do fire safety engineering today. But uh, I thought I will bring you to this podcast to discuss how can we make the next experiment that will change the fire science. So to start off with a tough question, what are the qualities of outstanding fire experiment?
1: Yes, this is a good question. I mean, uh, there are different ways of answering that question. In fact, the first thing I think a research community must do is agree on the fact that there are a few benchmark experiments that should be basically capturing the essence and sense of their physics, of their phenomena that they want to study, and that are worth studying in great detail. So we have that, for example, in building fires. I mean, we collectively agree that pool fires plane spread along vertical surfaces, perhaps ceiling jets as well. Uh, but we have some agreement that there are these benchmark experiments, these benchmark configurations that represent most of the essential features of fire dynamics and should be studied in great detail. In contrast to that, for example, if you look at on fire, the on fire community doesn't have that kind of common agreement about benchmark experiments. And so that's something that is missing. So I think the first thing that a committee must do, a research committee must do, is identify some fundamental experiments, some configurations that basically convey the essence of their problems and that everybody will agree that uh, we should collectively study them. Now, you study them uh, numerically, you study them experimentally. When you study them experimentally, to qualify as an experiment, as opposed to a test, it must be well-controlled and well-instrumented. So weight control means you need to pay attention to uh, the initial conditions, the boundary conditions of your problem. They need to be characterized so that you understand what's going on. So uh, examples of that are if you are doing uh, uh, a flow-driven experiments, So you want to characterize the amount of flow coming in and you want to characterize details of a boundary layer profile, if that's relevant to your experiment. Uh, You want to characterize the air entrainment process. Very often, in many experiments, we are trying to turn a three-dimensional problem into a two-dimensional problem. And that usually means that we want to control the air entrainment at the edges of our system. So all of this has to be well done and well characterized. If you are looking at a wind tunnel experiments, you want to make sure that the smoke goes out from upstream to downstream. So that make uh, usually makes some requirements about the amount of air going to your wind tunnel. Otherwise, you have an experiment that is not as well controlled, and you can have a smoke basically recirculation to the inlet, and the inlet conditions are not co- as controlled as you would like. So there are many examples of situations like this where you you really will need to pay careful attention to the uh, setup of your problem, and then when well in, well instrumented, you want to have diagnostics that can characterize your problem, uh, and these diagnostics uh, typically range from global diagnostics where Ideally, you would like to uh, know something about the global heat release rate. So you would like to use a hood and uh, do use calorimetry, oxygen consumption calorimetry or carbon dioxide calorimetry comes to mind. So to have the global heat release rate in your system, you would like, if you are dealing with liquid fuels or solid fuels, you would like to measure the mass loss rate so that you have, at least in an average sense, you experiments have uh, some understanding of the evolution of the mass loss rate. You would like to know the radiant fraction, the global radiant fraction of your system. So these are global features. And then you can add to that, of course, you want to know something about the profiles of temperature species um, like CO2, H2O, or soot. You would like to know something also about heat fluxes if you are doing uh, an experiment where the, the radiant emissions are important. The list goes on and on of course, and each one of these uh items is going to require careful thinking, careful design basically to design uh, exercise and uh and
0: you have to also use calibration of uh, instruments. You said we need these fundamental benchmarks. I would qualify you as a, as a modeler like how how important it is for you to have the benchmarks that that you can rely on. Versus just doing the necessary diagnostics yourself and just, you know, validating your own model and living with it. How fundamental is this value of, of having a set of benchmarks for the whole discipline?
1: When we look at an engineering problem, whether it's a building fire or a fire outside, this problem, we tend to decompose it into simpler problems. So this is called the building block approach. And so, because at the end of the day, when you are simulating with uh, tools like FDS, an engineering problem, you're going to occasionally find good agreement, occasionally find big discrepancies with your expectation of what is measured. And these um, systems are so complex that you don't know what is the reason why you get good agreement and what is the reason why you may not get a uh, good agreement. So to be able to uh, rebound and make progress on your projects, you really need to, uh, decompose, have an analytical approach, decompose the problem into simpler problems. And so the way we do it in a model validation is we look at the problem as a, maybe a flow problem, as a combustion problem, as a flame spread problem, as a problem that may have compartment effects and so forth. So we basically decompose the physics into a series of simpler problems. And then we want basically to have validation experiments for each one of these simpler configurations that captures some element of the physics. And then we can go back uh, to the, at the end, uh, to the engineering problem and put everything together with some level of confidence that the different pieces of the puzzle are actually pretty solid and robust and accurate. Unless we do that, we are in the dark. We don't know. We can certainly run FDS for any problem, but we don't know whether this is a trustworthy exercise. And we don't even know whether qualitatively it's accurate. I mean, it's hard enough to make models, the CFD models, quantitatively accurate, but at the very least, we would like them to be qualitatively accurate. When we compare, for example, different design solutions or sprinkler system, design A with design B with design C, we would like to make sure that the ranking is correct, that A may be superior to C, that may be superior to B. Okay, So qualitative fidelity is important. And of course, we would like to move from there to a quantitative predictability, but that's an even higher standard that typically is harder to meet.
0: I would take it further. In my own office, if I do my own validation experiments, I do some simulations that I trust. There is a competitor who's doing their CFD on their projects. And eventually we we get on the the same project and their client gets two reports. How does they compare one to another? You know, how do they know? Which is closer to to the truth? How do they know which is more valid? The fact that I validated mine doesn't mean uh, mine is ultimately true, and the other report is is wrong and otherwise. So, I mean, it, it was a question with an obvious answer. It is fundamental for us to to understand fire phenomena and, and have ability to to speak the same language, pretty much.
1: Right. So you're bringing uh, an important point that. In addition to um, having intermediate validation steps in this building block approach where we can focus on some aspect of the physics that has been isolated and we think is important to validate independently, you have also, through benchmark experiments, this idea that everyone is going to look at the same problem. And so that means that now everybody is going to compare their results, simulating the same problem, and then you can make collective progress based on that. Otherwise, you have people going in different directions, selecting different experiments. And as a community, we don't make as as fast of a progress because of this lack of coordination.
0: Uh, thankfully, today we are living in the world where this is to some extent coordinated. And this is uh, through the IFSS Working Group on Measurement and Computational Fire Phenomena, which you are co-chairing with, uh, with Bart Massey, the MACFP groups. Uh, so, so we call it in, in the short. I observe this uh, from the site. I have not participated in MacFP yet, but uh, I, I guess after this podcast, I will be convinced <laughs> to join this uh, fantastic group of researchers. I'm observing it fr- from the site, and uh, I see you guys working hard on, on some really detailed diagnostics and uh, little descriptions of experiments. It looks very interesting, but... For someone who never dealt with MacFP or never attended any of the MacFP workshops, can you tell me what it is about, uh, maybe how it came to life?
1: Yeah, the IFSS Working Group, uh, MacFP, uh, Measurement and Computation Phenomena is. the idea was to, uh, again, bring some coordination to a field where there was not much and also a field that is pretty small field, so where coordination is very important because we have a limited uh, number of assets on uh, any one of these topics uh, for research. So it's important that we coordinate our efforts worldwide. So the idea was to imitate what is done in other engineering uh, sciences communities. My own uh, uh, experience came from the Combustion Institute, so the Combustion mm. community there that has uh, now a lot of workshops. And it started in the 1990s with a workshop that uh, is uh, very well known, and is called the Turbulent uh, Non-Premix Flame Workshop, That was uh, initially organized by uh, Sandia National Laboratories and by Bob Barlow uh, at Sandia National Laboratories in the 1990s. And uh, the idea was to bring together experimentalists and computational modelers around the topic of computations of turbulent combustion. And uh, so you had laminar flame experts, experimentalists, computational modelers, um, turbulent uh, uh, flame experts coming together. And this has been very successful, and there's been a lot of progress as, uh, that has been allowed and accelerated by this common form. So the idea was to do the same. Uh, we uh, had a, a workshop uh, in the New Zealand uh, IFSS Symposium in 2014, uh, presented by uh, Hassan Masri, who is one of the leaders of this turbulent non premix SLAM workshop, the TNF workshop in the commercial science community. And in that presentation, Assad uh, was inviting us to basically imitate what is done in other communities and try to do the same. So we took this idea from him, and we decided collectively to uh, see whether we would have enough people interested in that in that effort, a coalition. And the response was uh, immediately pretty positive. So we got together, we wrote a white paper, we engaged the IFSS to provide some endorsement. And then we had our first workshop uh, at the Loon Symposium in 2017. Uh, Initially, we worked our steps very carefully. So we identified a few basic experiments that tend to be pool fire-like experiments, emphasizing the gas phase phenomena first. Uh, There was a recognition that we should also target uh, flame-spread experiments that combine gas phase phenomena and, and thermal degradation solid phase phenomena but we were not ready at the time. So what was interesting initially Mm -hmm. is that the survey that we did of what we consider well-controlled, well-instrumented experiments showed that we don't have so many of them. And so that was the first basically lesson learned from this coalition that we had to walk a little bit slowly, not only slowly because academic people tend to be slow, but also because the data were not there. So we identified some basic experiments and they are on the the MacFP repository. But, uh, we didn't find much, especially for going right away to flame spread experiment. And it took us, uh, basically, uh, three symposia to go now to try to do, um, some uh, new experiments on flame spread, but also some new computation of flame spread. So this
0: week at the Tsukuba symposium. So we're not even talking about like compartment fires or ventilation driven fires yet, not facades or, or stuff like that. We're, we're talking about really the. The fundamental building blocks of fire behavior, which then are expanded, right? Right. The ambition would be to
1: go towards engineering application and look at compartment fire effects. Look at uh, maybe uh, we've talked also about fire suppression effects, water-based fire suppression effects. But again, there before we go there, we have to be ready and first check what we consider simple problems, but that are already challenging enough. And also, we want to make sure that we have good data. And what we mean by data is, again, well-controlled, well-instrumented experiments. And when you go to, closer to an engineering system, very often you lose some control on your experiments and you lose some quality in the uh, diagnostics. So that's, uh, you know, and uh, we invite, we want to expand MacFP towards these problems, but um, we are not fully ready. I think a good example of that is the fire suppression where to be able to look at this, we need some quality experiments on suppression by water mist system or by uh, water sprinkler system. But typically that means two things. That means uh, a suppression experiments and that means also some fundamental data on characterizing the spray without any fire. And uh, it's very hard to find good data in the open literature. And sprinkler manufacturers do have them, but they don't share them. And so mm-hmm. we are in a situation where we don't have access to good data. And there are not many uh, academic institutions doing these experiments today and uh, producing this data for us. So so yes, MacFP tend to be on the fundamental side right now. We would like to make faster progress towards engineering configuration, but sometimes we are slowed down by the la- lack of data.
0: I find it like refreshing. It's kind of a sanity check, you know, when everywhere you see people claiming, oh yeah, I've modeled a fire spread in a full-scale compartment that's a thousand square meters or or people would claim, oh yeah, I just simulated, you know, um, suppression of, of a compartment with FDS and it, it's so realistic and, and stuff like that. When at the same time, world's uh, finest fire researchers are saying, no, we, we're not ready. We, we have to gather more that on the most fundamental aspects of this physics to really get this solved, get this up to quality of a benchmark test, test and, and move on. I, I find it like reassuring because I, I like to be in the, cautionous camp of fire science that is not rushing too far ahead.
1: Yes. Well, we tend to view the problems, uh, you know, in terms of pieces of the physics. So there are a lot of problems that we do very well today in tools like FDS or Firefoam or similar CFD solvers. So luckily for us, I mean, there are many problems. Uh, these tools do uh, turbulent mixing very well. They do uh, well-ventilated fires very well. The problem is uh, when you go to certain aspects of the physics. So, if you have an underventilated fire and you're going to have extinction and reignition phenomena, that's where the models are still not mature. Okay. If you are doing a flame spread problem, well, you have a flame that is typically in the boundary layer. If I look at a flame spreading along a vertical surface, and boundary layer phenomena are tough. I mean, these flames are a few centimeters away from the solid surface. That means that you need a grid that is going to be millimeter scale to capture that physics. So we know how to do it, and I hope we will confirm them in Tsukuba. We know how to do it if we bring a lot of computer power to the problem. But then we are doing a research project. We are not doing a practicing CFD engineer project. So the, for the practicing CFD engineer that is going to work with computational grids at a centimeter scale or beyond, we need to provide a solution to this problem. And so right now we don't have well. Similarly, I mean, if you look at a problem of uh, radiation and uh, soot that plays a major role in radiation, soot is still an unsolved problem in the combustion science community and uh, therefore in the fire science community as well. And so if you are in problems where uh, I would say soot plays an important role and a role that it's interesting, I think a lot of our models work well when you have enough soot that the smoke layer becomes optically thick. The difficulty is uh, when you are in between optically thin and optically thick regimes, and then uh, things are very sensitive to your suit model, and that's where you lose accuracy. I'm, uh, you know, uh, sharing these thoughts with you because I think the way we look at the problem is trying to identify the pieces of the physics. There are pieces of physics we do very well. There are pieces of physics we still do not do very well. We still do not do very well. And, And that brings limitation in our ability to predict some of the engineering problems that we are interested in. So sometimes the engineering problems do not require that knowledge and fine, and we can apply the existing tools with some confidence. But when they do uh, need that pieces of the physics, if you have a problem where you have a vertical flame spread that plays a key role, you better be
0: careful. People would say that these models don't have to be uh, fully accurate uh, to be useful. I just have an issue where, where people would go into um, these models don't even have to be correct to be useful. That That's where I put my red line that I would. Like to not, not cross. You've mentioned radiation. Radiation is the newest member of, of the MAC FP, um, workshop family. It, uh, started with gas phase and condensed phase phenomena. Now you have increased, um, radiative heat transfer phenomena. C- can you, for an engineer who's not a fire scientist, can you give some relatable examples of what gas phase phenomena, condensed phase phenomena, radiant heat transfer phenomena, would mean to, to to an engineer, and to what are the like, uses of these models eventually in engineering that they would benefit from?
1: Yes, the first thing I want to say on this is that uh, to me, when we talk about a fire model, we often think uh, as a fire model, and I'm, I'm I'm the first guilty of uh, making that um, that assessment. We think about a fire model as being a computational free dynamics model, the CFD mm-hmm. model. Okay, however, a fire model is actually the coupling between three types of different solvers. You have a CFD solver that is going to describe the flow, the combustion, the conductivity transfer process in the gas phase. Uh, In addition to this, you have a solid phase solver that is going to look at, uh, even for inert wall, uh, heat conduction for inert walls and the amount of heat that is lost from the gas phase to the uh, surrounding walls in a compartment 5 situation. And very often our fuel sources are solid, so it's going also to calculate the thermal degradation of the uh, material that is going to provide fuel to the combustion process. So mm-hmm. the solid phase solver is typically simple in our uh, fire models. It's treated in uh, locally in one D, but still this plays a, a, a very important role and it's a separate problem. And then you have a third solver which is radiation. The transport of heat by radiation corresponds to different physics. It's ele- electromagnetic waves. Uh, the wave energy propagating at the speed of light. So it's a very different equation and for, and governing piece of the physics. And so that solver also has a different numerical requirements. So the way I look at the fire model is the combination of these three solvers. Now, each one of these three solvers are different physical models, different uh, numerical requirements, spatial resolution for the gas phase solver, spatial resolution for the seed phase solver. An angular resolution for radiation solver. Mm-hmm. And so all of this requires different types of algorithms, different types of tests, different levels of expertise. And so this is why we have these three groups right now, uh, and we could expand on these three groups, but these three groups correspond to uh, uh, the fact that a fire model is made up of uh, three different solvers, and each one of these groups represents one solver. Uh, of course at the end of the day we everything is coupled in a simulation of a fire problem and so uh, but again in the consistent with the building block approach we think that we have to first
0: validate things independently before we couple everything together so and now for the useful part how how does macfp like communicate with the rest of community work where, where to find your your outputs i know there are all workshops i, I know there's a github repository Tell, tell me, how did you come up with the GitHub? I, I, if I had to bet my money, I would say Randy, but... <laughs> well, yes, I mean, Randy, Randy
1: McDermott from this is playing a key role here. He is being our uh, our leader in terms of uh, the development of the GitHub repository and also developing uh, initially uh, MATLAB scripts or Python scripts to be able to do automatic comparison between experimental data and computational results. So we have also the assistant now of Isaac Leventon, from NIST as well, who is uh, doing uh, similar work, but on the condensed phase groups, subgroups side. But to go back to your uh, question, we uh, we felt that um, to be successful, this, uh, this is a community effort and to be successful, it has to be working at the level of a neutral space. So it shouldn't be led by any of our institutions. It should be led by uh, a society, a scientific society. So we went to IFSS as a natural choice, IFSS is endorsing us. So the first place where you find information on MACFP is on the IFSS website. And mm-hmm. there you have a description of what MACFP is about, even the history of MACFP. And then you have links to the database that is on the GitHub uh, repository. And so you can find the uh, selection of targets, experiments, information on these experiments, uh, information uh, and the experimental data coming out of these experiments as well as the sample computational results that were presented at the past two workshops uh, on the GitHub repository. So the uh, entrance to uh, to the MacFP information is on the FSS website. And then we've advertised everything every time we have. So we're going to have our workshop number three in Sukuba in October, uh, 2023, but everything has been advertised uh, through, uh, yeah, safety Journal, Fio te- uh, fiotechnology Journal as well, and through the IFSS newsletter and for emails.
0: I will link to those resources, uh, to the GitHub repository, to the MacFP website. Uh, and there are also very nice direct links to the previous workshops where you can find the presentations, you can find recorded talks. So... It is truly um, a repository of, of the history of this. I guess that that was the point, like to turn uh, a workshop, a nice place where you meet with people, exchange information, and go home into something that is uh, protected, shared, and ten years later we can uh, access the the discussions from, from Lund or from whatever other workshop you held. They are also now held also between the IFSS conference in some online space or? or uh, basically, uh, we did have a couple of Zoom
1: meetings to get people ready for the workshop, mm-hmm. but the workshops are taking place with the IFSS symposium. So we have a okay. three-year cycle. Uh, it's a lot of work that goes into that. So uh, I'm not sure we can do uh, uh, more frequent meetings, but this is something mm-hmm. we're considering. I want to go back to something you said, so, yep. which is... Uh, yeah, I think the MacFP in our view is a series of workshops first, a forum where people, experts, are going to exchange information, where newcomers can find the relevant information on that particular topic of model validation for fire, fire applications. So it's a forum, but it's a, it's more than that because traditional workshops are great. But to me, MacFP is a series of workshops plus a record. The Mm -hmm. fact that we have a place where we're going to leave a trace of what was discussed and we're going to leave data. So the GitHub repository is very important. And so that's what we wanted because, you know, we didn't want to, I mean, I like the traditional workshops that we have at the IFSS uh, and they've been very successful. They provide very nice discussions. But to me, for a workshop to have long lasting value, we need to have not only these discussions taking place. Uh, But also to leave a record, a trace of uh, what has been discussed, or leave data and and software
0: behind, so people can build on it. I wondered, is there any competition within uh, the MacFP itself? Like, okay, you are a bunch of of scientists. uh, You know, I know science is a competitive space. Come on, I'm, I'm a scientist myself. And you tend to, to get inside the room, talk about fundamental phenomena. Uh, how does it look inside? <laughs> so I think, no, there's not much competition. We wanted, we were very
1: careful about trying to avoid having, uh, you know, messages that are sent to committee where people, there will be friction where people are going to claim that my model is better than yours and things like this. So we want to stay away from this. Mm-hmm. We want to collectively identify progress and identify also uh, knowledge gaps, difficulties, and just candidly recognize it. And that's how you make progress. So I think for this, we benefited from the series of FM uh, fire modeling workshops orga- organized by FM Global. Uh, mm-hmm. The pre-pandemic, they were organized annually uh, and they just started again in 2023. And that's a forum where, again, that has a, some similarities in the spirit to, to MacFP. That's a forum that brings together modelers and also some experimentalists to talk about the state of the art in terms of modeling. And most people in the room are people who are going to be working with FDS or with Fireform. There are also uh, people using other tools, but uh, most of them are using FDS or Fireform. And initially, when the FM uh, Global Workshop series was started, we were a little bit concerned about possible competition between um, uh, the FDS developers and the FM Global (laughs) developers. (laughs) And, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but this in, in the end has been, uh, we've stayed away from this and people have been, uh, you know, bringing discussion at a level that is very neutral. Uh, I think also, again, going back to the idea of putting Maggie P under the umbrella of IFSS was also a good move just because this is a neutral space for people to, to exchange ideas and, and knowledge. And, uh, and so, uh, no, surprisingly, uh, we've done pretty well at having a very mm. collegial tone. And uh, a very candid tone of recognizing where uh, the difficulties are. And I think this is important. We don't want to hide. We don't want to, uh, you know, put the problems under the carpet and ignore them. We want to bring them forward.
0: You are creating a space where people are coming in with, let's say, the best experiments they could do. Like I would go to MacFP with my best experiments and... uh, a possible outcome is that you will get criticized. Oh, you did not measure this or you did not do something that's necessary in discussion. You can end up, okay, this, this experiment is, is not, is, is worthless for the purpose. Like it's not a benchmark experiment. Like, but it's an, inevitable. It's inevitable that this will happen. And that's the whole point of the, of the thing to, to work out, uh, experiments that are the benchmarks that if I take a document from the GitHub repository, I can be sure that this, Experiment is the, the best quality experiment on a certain physics that we do have at the moment. So, so it must be very nice and um, how to say it, uh, safe space for for researchers to to discuss these things because many people would be ashamed or, or worried about showcasing like experiments that 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 will be discussed further and that may need an improvement. You know, that's that. I, I find this as a challenge actually.
1: Yeah. Well, it's nice to have this space where people agree on, the, for example, on what should be characterized for these, in these experiments, even though we recognize that typically uh, the databases that are provided are going to only provide only a portion of the information that ideally you would like to have. I mean, it's the discussions between computational modelers and experimentalists is always very fruitful from that regard, because as a computational modeler, I'm, uh, I can always shoot for the stars and I can always say I would like to have an idealized experiment where the fuel mass loss rate is measured, the heat release rate is measured, heat fluxes are measured, and I have access to information on temperature, velocity, soot volume fraction, carbon dioxide and water vapor, mole fraction, at the very least. I mean, to me, this is the way you characterize the flame structure. And uh, typically, you go to experiments, you're going to have some of these measurements but not all, okay? So to me, the set is always incomplete, but that, that's fine. I mean, I can understand that my wish list is uh, a little bit uh, too challenging <laughs> So I, I have to recognize this. However, at the same time, you know, you're setting the standards. You are saying, if you are doing a flame spread experiments, a fire growth experiment, so your your fire is going to grow in intensity one way or another. I think it's it is not acceptable today To have an experiment that doesn't measure heat fluxes somewhere. Okay. You need to Mm -hmm. be able to track what's happening. You need to be able to characterize it quantitatively. And the best, uh, you know, equipment that we have for that is a heat flux gauge. So I'm saying this because I'm, I'm worried uh, sometimes in the literature when I see a lot of experiments that are speculating on the fire growth or mechanisms for fire growth or flame spread without these measurements and just relying basically on flame imaging. You know, I think uh, one of the things we are trying to do is also implicitly define the standards of the field. If you are serious about quantifying something about fire growth or flame spread, you need to give yourself the means really to measure it. Or if you are doing computations, the means to actually quantify it in your simulation and checking that you are accurate there. So we are trying to, uh, you know, in this discussion, we are trying to identify uh, what would be an ideal experiment, also defining the standards of what should be measured for what kind of problems. And that applies both to experimentalists and to competition monitors. What does it take to really have uh, an accurate uh, simulation for heat flux gauge uh, located at two meters from a flame? You know, there are some
0: requirements to do this. And so that's the kind of standards that we're discussing. I would love to take this uh, today this example a little further. So let's say I'm running uh, an experiment that I would like that one day becomes a benchmark for uh, for for science. What tools are allowed? For example, if I measure it with plate thermometer, should I measure it with thin skin calorimeter? Should I should I measure it with with Gordon Gouch or should I measure it with Jim's Quinqueri secret heat flux matter that no one's allowed to touch or, or even look too intensively at? Like, w- what level are you expecting at at MacFP to to like allow uh, to go through Randy into GitHub?
1: This is a little bit outside of my area of expertise. I'm relying on the okay. mentalist uh, to answer that question. What what I want to see, I mean, I I, I don't have any preference for which uh, which device to use to measure heat flux, but I want to see people uh, doing a careful calibration. And uh, from a computational modeling standpoint, I, I'd like to have access to both the convective and radiative components of the heat flux if I can. So I, I would love people to uh, measure, have two measurements instead of, of one. But for this, the best way of doing it, uh, I'm aware of these discussions are ongoing in my, you know, in the community of people doing experiments, but I don't have any strong preference. I'm, this is where I want them to converge and uh, let me know you know, what are the most reliable data? Uh, similar problem occurs for suit volume fraction. Mm-hmm. Movements. There are different techniques available. Some there their advantages. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Depending on the problem. And so uh, you have non-intrusive techniques, intrusive techniques, but also it depends on whether your flame is optically thin or optically thick. Uh, some of these techniques rely on the optically thin system. So there are a, a number of choices that have to be made. And, and there, this is where I enjoy the discussion, but I'm sitting on the sidelines because I'm, a, that's not my area of expertise.
0: That must be a, the geekiest place in the far side. I'm not going to join it. It sounds like what you've described sounds like fun to me. I anyway, well, let's follow up on, on this, on, on what makes the experiment worthy? What, what makes an experiment an experiment that, that can really be a part of changing the fire science. So how about some best practices for experimenters? Maybe they're not there yet. Maybe they're not yet vulnerable enough to, to go to MacFP and share their experiments, but still they would like to go to good fire science. Like what are the simple hacks and tricks that can immediately improve the quality of your experiments?
1: The, the first thing I, I, people have to have in mind, if, if, if you want to... Um study a benchmark experiment, you, you need to um, think about instrumentation. And, you know, this approach of going back to benchmark experiment is also an approach where you are going to go back to configurations that have been studied in the past, and you have to accept that as opposed to studying new configurations of interest. So uh, if I look at my colleagues doing experimental work, there are people studying new configuration because they want to discover or characterize new phenomena, and that's a valid approach. But when you go to a benchmark, you're going to a, a well-known configuration, and you are adding new instrumentation to reveal some uh, and measure some some new phenomena. So uh, basically, you need to be in that mindset, okay, to to be able to bring new diagnostics to to this experiment. So the best example of this is actually to me in the one on fire research community right now, where I see. First of all, as I said, this community doesn't necessarily have agreements on what a benchmark experiment is. But also when you do experiments, typically uh, they don't measure much. And so even when you look at the prescribed fire burn and you are trying to characterize flame spread, up to a very recent past, basically people would do a burn over many acres. It would be a very difficult experiment to organize because you need a lot of people on the ground for measurements or for safety. And then uh, in the end, uh, what is extracted of that experiment was typically one value for mean rate of spread in the direction of the wind or in the direction of the slope. So when you look at the amount of resources, the amount of effort that goes into organism experiments, and you extract one value. Okay, I'm a little bit simplifying things, but, uh, you know, I think the, still uh, this is a fairly accurate description of where we were until a recent past. Now, these same experiments are going to be monitored by imaging systems that are flying through drones or low-flying airplanes or helicopters and are going to bring spatial and temporal resolution on the fire line movements so that now, instead of having one value, you're going to have to be able to measure spatial and temporal variations of flame spread. You're going to be able to look at acceleration of the flame in certain regions, deceleration of the flame in others, and try to correlate it with changes in the wind, or changes in the fuel load, or changes in the topography. So you're going to have insights into fire—you know—one on fire dynamics that you did not have before. So back to your question, you can see that this is going to change the game. We're going to be able to see things we didn't see before, and the models are going to improve. Our understanding is going to be improved, and then the models will improve, and uh, and then the tools to uh, predict what's happening there are going to improve. So the, the key here is really better diagnostics. Even these experiments may not be very well controlled, but the fact that you are bringing measurements with a high temporal and spatial accuracy is going to change our vision on an understanding of the problem. So, um, so my my best answer to your question is really bring uh, you
0: know sophisticated measurements up to modern measurements techniques to these problems. How much do we need to revisit the old experiments, actually, now when we have these highly improved uh, research capabilities? Uh, I'll give you an example of what I'm doing. Uh, I have a research project together with with Professor Lucas Arnold, who's also very involved in MacFP. And what we're trying to do is actually revisit the GINS experiment at our Foundation for Visibility in Smoke Modeling. So uh, we found that the amount of, of controversy, uncertainty around this model has a must-to-level where we really feel we need to do it from like zero. We need to redo this from scratch with uh, modern diagnostics because there are too many open-ended questions that are a significant contributors to uncertainty of, of the model in the end. So we're, we're just going to redo them. Um, I, I wonder, like, we have, uh, let's say stable experiments. I don't know, Sandia plume, helium plume experiments or, or maybe other experiments that, that went to, into Mac FP. Do you see, like, uh, an, a need to, to, to even now stepping back with, with all the new tools that, that we're obtaining every year after year, or there's enough to do ahead? Yeah. Well, I don't see any problem, uh, you know, we've revisiting.
1: All benchmark experiments uh, with new diagnostics and with new questions. I mean, typically, what you want is also have new questions. Some of these experiments are still not fully understood. I mean, uh, you know, even uh, when I look at flame spread uh, along the can kind of large fuel packages, continuous fuel packages that we have in uh, building fires, we still, uh, you know, are not uh, have a full understanding of the relative weight of convective and relative heat transfer. So there are still some fundamental questions that have implications for mod- models and our ability to model these phenomena correctly uh, that are not fully answered. When you go to the wine and fires again there, I mean, this is, you have flame spread along discontinuous, discrete fuel packages. And uh, even though we understand the physics, the coupling between all these physical phenomena is so complex that we still don't have a full uh, understanding of what controls uh, flame spread in wine and fires. And so... There's no problem in going back to uh, benchmark configurations that look like they've been uh, studied extensively, but uh, they are not fully understood. And co- go back to them in, uh, you know, with your diagnostics. I mean, if you if I take an analogy that is a bit daring and I look, uh, you know, at, uh, you know, literature, we don't have any problem reading the classics, okay? And mm-hmm. read before, but it's not because they haven't, they have been read before. And maybe you may have read them once that it's not worth reading them again. So I don't have any problem with that as long as you can justify it. So you should be able to say, I'm going back to this problem because I want to
0: understand this aspect of the physics. So I want to measure this quantity. And how do you value repetition of experiments in fire science? Let's uh, imagine I, I have an experiment in front of me. Actually, I do have. Let's, let's say I'm burning a uh, 3D printed compartments and to, to check out how they behave in fire. What what would you what what would you think is more interesting to burn it three times in the exact same way, or or burn it three times but let's say change the heat release rate or or the alpha coefficient of fire growth or (laughs) whatever else?
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, I I think uh, the this issue of repeatability of experiment is an important issue, but I I usually. When you have problem of repeatability, that means you may not be doing this kind of well-controlled experiments that we, we like in MacFP. You are more doing like a test and maybe representative mm-hmm. of the engineering problem, but it's not uh, necessarily the kind of target that we
0: have uh, at MacFP. I-, I call them exploratory experiments.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I- I'm a big believer in doing many experiments to explore, explore the parameter space. So mm-hmm. I'm always worried that sometimes when you focus, you focus on a single experiment, and you uh, you may be actually uh, looking at uh, a comparison that is not going to be perfect because our models are not perfect, and you're going to uh, waste some of your time and your resources focusing on one or two cases, as opposed as uh, to looking at um, basically uh, maps of changing conditions and at least reproducing qualitatively transition from one prior regime to another in a in a large parameter space. The fact that you may not be exactly predicting, uh, you know, exactly when the fire becomes underventilated in a compartment fire is uh, not as important as making sure that you are going to uh, correctly say that this fire has at least two regimes. One is well ventilated, one is under uh, ventilated. And, uh, you know, roughly speaking, the transition occurs within a certain range of conditions. So that's Uh so I believe in many experiments.
0: I'll, I'll go further on that. Uh, um, what about reproducibility of, of research? Every time I submit a paper, I get a reviewer too telling me, oh, you need to include this and this so the experiment can be reproduced. But in fire science, does anyone ever do that? Actually, like in, in, I, I wonder if Mac FP, yeah, you, you do that on other scope of, of experience. I, I do listen a, a lot medical podcasts about longevity and stuff like that and, and th- in this research this these people from medical world they would discuss a thing and they would say oh yeah this experiment has been done for 10 years on double blind uh, placebo controlled group but it has not been reproduced yet so i don't know uh, and i'm like wow this this is mind breaking in in fire science I, I feel like everyone would just jump on this single uh, answer which is got from an experiment as the ultimate truth so What about reproducibility? Do you do this in a MacFP? Well, we do it somewhat in
1: our own way. I think uh, uh, if you look at MacFP, you know, typically we have between five and ten different research groups Mm -hmm. uh, doing computational modeling, uh, contributing to the workshops. And uh, these people are going to use their own tool, whether it's FDS, Fireform, or some other codes, and are going to uh, 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 simulate the same problem. As in
0: the experiments that are reported in MacFP, for example.
1: So they, will, okay. uh, you know, so typically each target experiment, we'd have three or four t- computational modeling groups simulating that particular experiment. And the fact that you find similar results, which is often our experience, when people use this, of course, people use the same kind of models that you apply the same kind of computational grid is a kind of sanity check, a check mm-hmm. that the community yeah, can simulate in the same way. Whatever the tool you're using, it can get the same result for the same problem. So it's a way to uh, check on reproducibility. So again, the idea of MacFP is to do collective progress, to and to do these tests where we can see that different tools are producing the same results.
0: I think what you just mentioned also goes um in line with the previous comments about the competitiveness of, of MacFP. Like if this is a group exercise as a part of a of a larger group of people, for doing doing this for the exact same purpose to progress science altogether. And many people are doing the exact same exercise and then compare and find joy in finding that all of them come to similar reasons, eh, which means that physics is good. We can proceed with our lives. I, I guess this, uh, th- th- this has a lot of value and also takes down this con- competitiveness factor. Um, you, you've said you would have nine, 10 groups in computational. I, I, that, that's the question I had listed on my, on my, on my list. How big the, the space of, of measurements and computation in fire phenomena really is. Like, how many of us are there? How many groups, uh, roughly, are there?
1: I don't have the number of modeling groups. Uh, Well, so the modeling groups, I think, at the last, at the MacFP2, at the second workshop that was virtual, uh, and that was in uh, 2021, uh, I think we had nine modeling groups, if I remember correctly. And if you look at the number of experimental groups who are contributing to MACFP, uh, this number is probably smaller. We have on the order of, I would say, again, somewhere between five and 10 target experiments now. Uh, but a lot of them are taken from the past. So we had, uh, you know, experiments taking place at Sandia National Laboratories, for example, some famous experiments on helium plumes and mm-hmm. or pool fires for methane or hydrogen. But we have uh, right now, uh, I would say, uh, basically NIST is very involved, and FM Global is very involved in producing quality experiments and uh, raising uh, data. So I think we rely today. Mostly on the contributions from NIST and from uh, from FM Global. I should add actually University of Maryland too. So the experiments I have in mind is a pool fire experiment from Anthony Hammonds at at NIST. Uh, we have also a burner uh, experiments with uh, extinction from Dong Zeng at uh, FM Global, and we have uh, now PMMA flame spread experiments from Isaac Leventon at NIST and from uh, Stas Tolyarov at at Maryland. Uh, this is what comes to my mind. I hope. I'm not finding anybody, but something. But, but uh, yeah. So that gives you an idea. We have basically three institutions producing data right now. I think uh,
0: for for my. I, I need an urgent clarification. What's the target experiment?
1: So a target experiment is an experiment that uh, we collectively review and, and that we think is going to be a target for CFD model validation and is part of the list of experiments that we're going to study uh, as part of MAGET.
0: So, so basically you sit down and, and say, okay, this is the type of experiment we would need for CFD validation. And, and then what one group does it, three groups do the same experiment compared to results. Yeah, so we are in the process
1: now of inviting, uh, you know, we have identified which experiments we want to talk about at MacFP3 in October in Tsukuba. And so we are inviting uh, modeling groups right now to uh, go and simulate uh, some of them. And so we are waiting, I mean, it's, uh, on a volunteer basis, or so waiting people decide that let us know which which
0: experiments they are going to simulate. Is there any interest from combustion uh, part of the world? I mean all the non premixed flame people and, and turbulent flames? Yes, we,
1: we've seen a, a few people from the Combustion Science Committee getting interested in uh, participating in fire research. Uh Sometimes it's because they think maybe there will be some funding uh in fire research <laughs> that yeah. uh, may be available, okay? Uh, but there is also this idea that, uh, yeah, the committee is becoming a little bit more structured And so they can also more easily uh, understand what is the state of the art. I think MacFP contributes to being a window to the outside also. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's a point of entry for people from outside our our fire research community. And then uh, they can, yeah, they can easily see what the state of the art is and they decide to contribute. We've seen people coming from combustion science community, especially the IDFM Global Workshop on fire
0: modeling. And uh, some of them uh, have come back several times. Fantastic. Um Arnaud, thank you very much for, for this very interesting uh talk. Maybe maybe let's let's close uh with a statement what like what's the most important part about organizing MacFPU from your perspective as as a chair? What's the number one uh, thing <laughs> in there? Well, so I'm going to put number one A and number one B. <laughs> okay. you, <know> <laughs>
1: you you already made it structured. I like this. <laughs> uh so one A, I think it's just, is the people, They're bringing people together in a collective framework, collegial framework where we can have these discussions that help everyone in the long run. Okay. And, uh, one B would be that not only we discuss, but we produce data, we produce knowledge. We try to, um, uh, leave a record of what you are doing so everybody can benefit
0: from it. Arnaud, thank you very much for, for joining me in, in the fire science show. It was a pleasure and, uh, I'm looking forward to your future at, at UMD and, and what you will bring to, to the faculty. That's so exciting. After this episode, I'm sure it's going to be a lot of uh, very high-quality computations and, and well-planned experiments.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Voce. I, I Thank you for the invitation. I'm a big fan of your podcast. And I'm, of course, oh, even you. more of a big fan
0: now that you invited <laughs> me. But I was a big fan before. <laughs> thank you. And everyone uh, feel invited to the MacFP workshops in Tsukuba in Japan. They will happen on Sunday, just before the conference. Uh, There are three workshops planned. There will be a poster session in between them. It's going to be full of great people and interesting fire physics. So if anyone wishes to see this firsthand, I I guess they're welcome to to sign in, right? Oh, yeah. Everyone is welcome. It's a very open forum. Thank you. And that's it. Thank you very much, Arnaud. This is not yet experiments that change fire science, but experiments that have pretty good chance to change the fire science or at least become the the useful benchmark tools for us to proceed with fire science. I appreciate the efforts of everyone involved in MacFP a lot. It was the first standing committee of IFSS and more followed. Now we have large outdoor fires groups and we have human behavior in fire groups. So this is certainly growing and we have more structured committees that you can participate in. All of these are happening all together on Sunday before the Tsukuba IFSS conference in October. So if you would like to be involved, check out the the conference website. There should be soon registration uh, form and soon you should be able to register to the conference and workshops, see what's available. And uh, I can assure you, (laughs) is this workshops will be will be great we're working very hard to make workshops in Tsukubo a very nice experience for everyone we have a great choice of of workshops classical workshops on Saturday and a mix of standing committees and classical workshops on Sunday a lot of them to choose from so I hope you'll find something for you and that would be it for today's episode I hope that if you're running fire science experiments this was very useful to you. If you're not yet running fire experiments, I hope it was at least interesting. And if you are a modeler, I think it's fundamental to understand where the science and knowledge comes from. So, thank you for listening to the Fire Science Show today and see you here next Wednesday. Bye. This was the Fire Science Show. Thank you for listening and see you soon.